This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so um, I was on this trip. The last two weeks I was in Toronto, I was in Montreal. And on uh, Sunday and Monday I was in Minnesota. So my wife wants to know why I keep getting places to talk that are very, very cold. So if anyone's watching this and they're interested in inviting Rabbi Wallace to Florida, I'm there. So um, just two, there's two things I like to talk about. I like to talk about Minnesota. So I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was invited to speak in Beis Yaakov of Minneapolis. And they also had a dinner Sunday night and then speak to girls Monday morning. So I get into the car when I get off the plane and somebody from Minneapolis just picks me up and I get in the car and I'm like, so tell me, um, the girls I'm going to be speaking to, I don't know Minneapolis, the girls and the dinner I'm going to speak to, Beisiaco, Minneapolis, um, like what type are they? Like it's out of town, I don't really know out of town. Like tell me about the other schools so I understand the breakdown. You know, the, the co-ed school and the modern girls school and the Beisiaco school and do you have any Hasidic schools? So I have an idea of what's going on and he looks at me and he says, I don't, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, the co-ed school, the modern school. He says, we have one school. I'm like, you have one school? Yes, he says, we have one school. I'm like, so the modern kids and like the new Bali Chuba and the like from kids, from parents who are like everyone, the Litvisha, everyone's in the same school? He says, yeah. I'm like, like, there's nowhere else for me to talk? Like, there's no, this is the only school in town and it's a base Yaakov? And he's like, yeah. And I have to say that I met the whole base Yaakov Monday morning, and it's amazing that there could be a school in a city like Minneapolis, and there's only one girls' school. And they're able to teach all these different girls from all these different backgrounds, and everyone gets along, and everybody loves each other. And I said that I would speak about that tonight, um, because I, uh, I'm just so excited what I saw, that, um, that you can actually put a lot of different people in one, in one school, Teach them 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and they all get along. So it's not, it's not just a compliment to the school to have teachers that are able to do that. It's a huge compliment, and I'm complimenting them because they watch my shit all the time, that it's a, it's a huge compliment to the parents. Like, my kid should go to school with that girl? Her parents don't do this, and her mother looks like that? And none of that. None of that. So it's, a, it's an unbelievable compliment that I'm complimenting them. That, that to the parents of the children, that they understand that Klai Yisrael is Am Echad, and you can really teach Torah to everybody at one time. And it's under the name Beis Yaakov. And they're not, they're not choosing this one or that one. Every single girl that goes to Jewish high school goes to that school. So, um, they get a very big compliment that they're able to do that. I want to talk about Montreal for a minute. So, um, everybody thinks when I go somewhere, they get very, very scared that, you know, I'm going to come back and talk about them. So if there's not something good to talk about, then I don't talk about them. But if there's something good to talk about, I need to talk about it. So I want to tell you, I was in a Shabbaton for a school in, um, in Montreal. It was just this school alone. And I was there for Shabbos with all of them. They were absolutely, absolutely amazing. And, um... Of course, me being there for Shabbos, just interesting. So um, last year, whoever was by the Shabbaton, we're still trying to work on a Shabbaton to get one done. Um, we can't find the hotel. We're going through a big struggle, but we'll find something sooner or later. Um, so 
so I, I come I come to Montreal and on Friday afternoon they hand me the um, where, when, how many times I have to speak first of all I said so what other rabbis did you bring in for the Shabbaton they're like no one <laughs> just you I'm like okay um, and then they, 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 they give me you know the whole list on a piece of paper the schedule and it says um, speak by dinner by Friday night dinner speak after dinner then speak to the 10th graders, and that ends at 11. And then from 11 to 1, speak to individual students. So my wife, who was with me, um, walks over to the principal and says, I never heard of a rabbi and a Shabbaton, right, that comes from Shabbaton, that is asked on a Friday night to stay up till 1 o'clock. So she says, what do you mean? All the girls came back from the Oranava Shabbaton and said that the rabbis were speaking to the girls till 8 o'clock in the morning. We gave you off seven hours. So it was, it was very amazing. The school is called Yavna in, in Montreal. Very holy children, very holy people, very holy girls. It was a very, very beautiful Shabbos. And, of course, I spoke about Facebook. And um, I spoke about media and Facebook and they took it very, very seriously. I told them the story that I had repeated here to that poor girl that I went to the hospital, and you all know the story. And um, I got a phone call today and uh, from one of the girls and said, Wallstein, you don't understand. Um, most of the girls that are in the school Sunday went off Facebook. So whether it's going to last or not, that's up to them. But Lamai said they reacted and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. They reacted, and they, they didn't just hear it, but they heard it. It went inside, and they did something about it. So there's a story. Um, there's a story that's brought down in the Kavayasha, which I have spoken about many, many times, about the keys. And I think that I would like to repeat this story, and I will connect it to my whole... Tonight is really the... I'm giving a brand new share that I never gave before on Bitachon. Because one of the things that was built into the Jewish nation in these parshas of, of Shemos and Ve'era and Bo and then Kriyas Yamsuf, which was the ultimate Emunah Bitachon, was to take this nation, us, and plant in us the genetics to believe, to have Bitachon. So Moshe Benu came, said things are going to get better, Things got worse. So they were like, no bitachon, right? Then Moshe Benu came, and he said, I'm going to do dam. Right? So everybody's like, yeah! Right? And then what happened? The chatumim went ahead, and they copied it. Ah, oh, forget it. Right? And they did tzvadeya. And everybody said, ah, now we believe. And the chatumim, the wizards of Egypt, copied it. And they went, ah. Then came kinim, right, which was the lice, they couldn't copy it because it was smaller than a bean, and they used dark, the dark side, and the dark side can't control something that's smaller than a bean. So you have the etzvelokim, and you see through all the makos, there's an there's an ebb, there's a there's a belief wow, and then there's like a an ebb between the wow, and then it goes away, and then it comes back, and then it goes away, and that's how Kashbaru was building us up slowly but surely. A moon, a little moon, then it went away, then more a little moon, then it went away, and then we went out of Mitzrayim. And even when we came to Kriyas Yamsuf, right, after all this 
up and down, Emuna Bitaka, and we come to Piaz Yamsuf, and Kleistro screaming, the Matrima behind us, the water's in front of us, we're gonna die. What happened to the God that did all this stuff? So Moshe Rabbeinu cries to Hashem, and he starts davening, and this is the basis of, of what I'm gonna talk about tonight. And he starts davening, and the first time ever you'll see in the Torah, Hashem says, Stop davening. Now, what does a Jew do when you're in trouble? You daven. So what do you mean, stop davening? I'm in trouble. I got Egyptians behind me. I got an ocean in front of me. Help! Shem says, no, don't scream for help. Do something. Do something. There comes a time in life where even tefillah is not enough. You have to take a step. This is which I'm going to be speaking about tonight. A shir from Shem Shem Pinkis. And um, it's, it's a new shir, and it's, it's just... Mind-boggling. I'm sorry that I only heard it once and I'm trying to give it over to you. I should have heard it 101 times. So, there's this story, a very um, interesting story brought down the Kavayosha in Perichov Hay. And actually, there's a lot of things that are brought down um, because of this story. And the story says as follows, and I'm going to take it to a little different point than I usually take it. So there was this, um, there was this miser and he didn't even show up in shul on Monday and Thursday because he didn't want to give tzedakah. He didn't want to give tzedakah to anybody. So, there was one interesting thing about, about him. That even though he didn't want to give tzedakah, and he never gave a penny to anyone that was poor, he was a mile. He did circumcisions. And that he would do for free. He was a multi-millionaire. He didn't need money. So he couldn't give money. He couldn't give money. But he could do a bris and not charge. One day, a guy shows up at his house, tall, very good-looking man, and he says, My, I had a baby boy, and I want, I want you to come. I heard that you do mila for free. I'd love you to come and do the bris mila. He says, no problem. Packs up his brisket. Ha-ha. Um, you're all sleeping. Okay, anyway. So he gets all his stuff that he needs for the bris, and he packs up his clothing, and... Okay, some people will laugh by Tuesday next week. So, so he, gets, he, he gets onto this guy's wagon, and they travel for three days. In a forest, in a mountain, it's a very, very long trip, very far away. Finally, they come to a yard, to a, to a village in the woods, in the middle of the woods, and they're the most beautiful, gorgeous mansions. The whole city is full of gorgeous mansions. So, the the mayo gets out of the wagon, and the guy who brought him says, I'm going to put the horses in the wagon in the barn. You go already into the house and check the baby. Make sure the baby's not yellow, that it's healthy, that you can do the bris tomorrow morning. He says, fine, no problem. He comes into the house, and he goes to the room where the baby is. It's where the mother is, too. He knocks on the door. You can't just walk in. And the woman of the house says, come on, come in. He walks in. And she says, Moyel, thank you very, very much. That you came tonight to give a circumcision to my son. But you need to know that my husband is not human. He's a Shindalad. What is that? Shindalad is a, a devil, a, a, a bad angel. Uh, uh, actually, in English, a halfling. They were, they were, they could change themselves into any, per, any form. The only thing they can't change is their feet. Mm-hmm. Their feet are webbed like ducks. The Gemara talks about a lot 
The famous one was named Ashmedai, who was the king of the Shadim. And uh, David Amelech, uh, Shlomo Amelech had a hard time with him. He finally caught him. There's a beautiful, there's a whole Gemara, I got it, so that, 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 um, that Ashmedai was guarding the Shamir, the worm. It's an interesting Gemara. So there was a worm. The Beis Hamikdash, when you built the Beis Hamikdash, you weren't allowed to, to cut the stones with steel. Because steel is a sword, which is a killing. And the Beis Hamikdash is a thing that's, that's made for, for peace. So how do you cut such huge stones to make walls? So Hashem, when he created the world, Erev Shabbos, one of the ten things he created was this worm. You would make a line, the worm would follow the line, and wherever it would crawl, it would crack. So they would have, that's how they made, that's how the kaisel, that's how it was made. So, so the, um, so who guarded this worm? Who watched this worm that no one should get it? Ashmedai, the king of the Shadim. So Shlomo Melech's general knew where this Ashmedai lived. And Ashmedai would come back at the end of the day, right, and he would drink a whole well of water in one gulp. So how are you going to capture such a, such a being? So Shlomo Melech was very smart. He told Ashmedai, he told, I think it was Binyahu, um, his, his general, he told him, go when Ashmedai leaves in the morning and filter out all the water and fill it up with wine. What's he going to do? He's going to come, take one gulp. He's going to drink all the wine. He's going to make him tired. He's going to fall asleep. When he falls asleep, there was a chain that had Hashem's real name on it. Chain him with this name. After that, he can't do anything to anybody. And steal the Shamir. Okay, that's one, one story of, of, of Ashmedai. Anyway, they capture him. And they put him in jail. And there's a whole story how he spoke to Shlomo Melech. He told Shlomo Melech, just take me out of these chains and I'll give you all the secrets of the other world. And Shlomo Melech fell for it and he took him out. And the Gemara says he took Shlomo Melech and he threw him across the world. And for many years Shlomo Melech was traveling and saying, I am Shlomo Melech, I am the king. And people were laughing at him. He said, you're a king, you're, you're, you're running around, the king is in, the king is in Yerushalayim. Meanwhile, Ashmedai turned himself into Shlomo Melech, except for his feet. So nobody knew. But his general saw how much he was eating. It's, it's a whole long Gemara on this. The general saw how much he was eating. He knew that Shlomo Melech couldn't eat that much. So they were very suspect. But Lemaisa, he looked exactly like Shlomo Melech. In the end, Shlomo Melech gets back. They go in front of Bezdin. He says, he's Shlomo Melech. He says, he's Shlomo Melech. They look exactly like. He makes him take off his shoes. And then, and then Ashmedai was sent with Hashem's name to the next world. And that's why you say in Tehillim that Shlomo Melech slept with 60 Gebeirim, 60 soldiers around his bed every single night because he was still scared that the Shindal could, could come back. And you should know that the, that, that, that the Shindal, still, they're still around. And I can even tell you a story that just mamash happened. Um, the Gemara says that they live in the gutters and in the windows of your house. In the windowsills of your house. So we know, the halacha, that you're never allowed to close a window. In other words, not close a window, but if I, let's say, want to redo this room, I can't take those windows... And, and close it up with wood or brick or whatever it is, because that's where they live. And what happens is, if you close up a window, you force them into your house. You force them into your house, people get sick, people die, people get poor. They're mazikim, they're, 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 they're damaging angels, they're, they're bad, they're not good. So I just had a story, in, and I'm not going to say where, but I'm sure that the girl is watching it, because she watches all my shirim, where, and I'm not a big makobal at all, but I know this halacha. And, and, and what you do is, if, even if you want to close the window, you drill a hole through the, through to the, from the inside to the outside, a teeny little hole with a little drill bit, and you put a straw, a teeny little straw in that hole, 
and that's fine for them. They, they can live in there. But you don't force them into your house. So you cannot completely close the window. So if you're doing construction, any, any from guy that does construction does that. He knows if you close the window or a door to the outside that you have to make this hole. Everybody knows. Anyway, so this girl calls me up and she says to me that um, it's crazy. Her sister has this disease. Her father broke his arm. Her mother has this. And this is just lately, this is all happening in her house. And her father lost his job. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, uh, shade of alert. You know, something's, something's not normal here. So I said to her, could you ask your father if you did any construction in the house? Anyway, to make a long story short, they closed a window and a door in their house. They, 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 they did construction and they closed it. And I said, right away, take a drill, get someone to do it, drill a hole in both places and put the straw in. To make a long story short, and she's my witness, she's watching this, that, I, uh, that her sister's disease is gone. And the, and, the, and the doctors are saying that it's impossible. They need to take more tests because it's impossible that the disease is gone. Her, her, the one that broke her, the, had their arm problem is gone. And Edmamish looks like that, that was the only problem that was, that was going on there. They're not sure. Should they still move? Because now you know it's a little creepy, right? So should they still move? So they, they're sending me actually to start to ask of Chaim Kainevsky. I have their names. If they should still move. Even though they fixed it here, whatever, he called me up to father that, that, that after they made the hole and the thing, that the next morning he got up very early to go to Davin and he was sitting drinking a tea before Davening and also there was a huge crash in that room that, was, that there was a hole. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> All right, I believe you, whatever, whatever. But Lamaisa, the reason I'm telling you this is you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful when you, when you do your house or if you move into a house, make sure, if you look on the outside of a house and you see bricked up, like a window shape of a window bricked up, you must make a hole through it. You don't want to mess with these guys. They're, they don't like humans at all. Anyway, so she tells this, she tells this male that you should know that I'm a Jewish girl and I was captured by them and I ended up having to marry this one and I had a child and this is my child and we learned from this whole story, it's brought down in halacha that a Jewish child, a Jewish woman, human, with a Shin Dalit man, the child is Chayiv as a Jewish person, is Chayiv and Mila and everything else, and Kolai Torah Kulov. It's actually learnt from, from this Chafhei in Kavayasha. So, anyway, if you don't believe me, you can buy Kavayasha in English and read it. And he wrote this 350 years ago, and he was a very, very big tzaddik. And this is not the first time. The reason I told these people is because I've seen this very, very often where people closed up a window and things happened in the house, and people got sick. So it's just something you have to be very mocked that if you do construction, you make sure that if you cover up the window, that you make a hole through it. Anyway, so, so now he's in a panic. And she said, you need to know that this whole city is all Shadim. So you're surrounded by Shadim. And he's like, what do I do? So she said that you need to know, and this, by the way, we learn in Kabbalah also, that as long as you don't take something from the other side, they're not, they, don't, they can't control you. But if you take something from them, and you're connected to them, she said, you will never get out of here. So no matter what they offer you, to eat, to drink, don't take anything, and don't tell my husband that I told you this, he'll kill me. So, the husband comes in, he makes believe like he doesn't know anything, and the husband says, listen, tonight is the night before the bris, by Sfadim it's called the Zohar, by, by Chassidim it's called the Vachnacht, the night before the bris, you make a big su'uda, and he said to the Mayo, you'll come to the su'uda, my friends are coming, and we'll all eat together. And he said, I'll tell you the truth, it was a very long trip, it was three days, a very long trip, I'm extremely tired, 
And if I'm very tired tomorrow when I do the bris, I have to be very awake and very sharp. I need to go to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. Okay. The next morning, he comes. He does the bris milah. And they invite him to the bris. The mile has to wash. Right? So he says to the father, I'm really sorry. But last night when I went to sleep, I had a terrible, frightful dream. And the halacha is that if you have a terrible, frightful dream and it bothers you very much, that you need to fast. It's called a tanas chalayim. So he says, I took on this morning a tanas chalom. I would love to eat from the bris, but I can't. So he, he was good. He was safe. He didn't take anything from them. Okay? So now he says, I did the bris. I want to go home. Take me home. So the shindalit says to him, and he was the head of the town, the shindalit, I'll take you home, but we have to stop by my warehouse before we go. He says, no, no, I want to go straight home. He goes, no, you don't understand. We're stopping at my warehouse. So he takes it to this warehouse on the outskirts of town. The male thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. He's going to eat me. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to chop me up. You know, I'm going to be, you know, served for the cholent next Shabbos. He's all nervous. He takes him in. He says, I have three rooms. And I want you to see what's in all three rooms. So he takes him to the first room. And the first room is a room. And the Gemara talks about this. If you ever lose something, if you ever lose something, something you don't know that you have, that's what they're, Hashem gave their permission. That's what they live off. That's what they collect. So that's why it says, there's an, you have to be careful not to count because there's an ayin hara. You have, to be careful, you have to be careful not not to count. Because if, you, if there's something you have that you don't know about, they will come and take it. That's what they get. They gather all the ships that sunk to the bottom of the sea. That's what they gather. Stolen loot, that's what they gather. That's what, that's, that's what they live on. The Gemara talks about it. That's what they live on. So, he opens up this door to this room. And the room is full of gold. All the king's gold, all the stuff that was ever stolen. And it's amazing. But, but this guy's a rich guy. The miser, the male, is a rich guy. So he, so he turns to the, the, the Shindalit and he says, I appreciate it. He says, you can take anything you want from me. What you did for me, you came all this way to circumcise my son. Whatever you want. He says, but you don't understand. I'm, richer, I'm as rich as you are. I have warehouses like this. I'm not interested. He says, okay. Room number two. Takes him to room number two. And he opens up the door. And it's full of diamonds and jewels and other stuff that they've been stealing. And he says, take any jewel you want, any diamond you want, any sapphire you want. And he's like, I don't want any of this stuff. I told you, I don't need this. I have enough money. So he takes him to the third room. And he opens the door of the third room. And the male is standing there. And he turns white. And his knees begin to shake. And his mamish about to faint. The whole room was full of human heads. I'm joking. It wasn't. It wasn't. I wouldn't tell you the story if it was. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It wasn't. The room was full of keys. Keys. The whole room. Thousands of keys. So the Shindalid turned... The Shindalid turned... Yes, that's exactly where it is. The Shindalid... Ruth lost a ring? That's where it is. It's in some... Okay. Whatever. Whatever. It'll end up whatever. Anyway. But... Mitz Hashem, you'll find it. I still say you'll find it. They'll give it back to you. Anyway. So... It's full of keys. So the Shindalid turns to him and says... What are you so... What are you shaking? What are you... Why are you so white? 
says, because those keys on the wall opposite me, that's my keychain. How did you get my keychain? All my keys are on that keychain. How did you get my keychain? This is very important. Now, the Kabayasha is not a storybook. This is not Grimm's fairy tales. The Kabayasha, I gave a share last night from the Kabayasha on Shevavim. And you can ask the guys. This, is, this book is known in Kabbalah as the book from the other world that has all the secrets of the other world. This was written by Rav Sadenover 350 years ago. The Chidah had it on his table at all times. The Noem Eli Melech had it on his table at all times. He doesn't tell you stories. There's a reason that he speaks about this. So he looks at the Shindal, he says, where'd you get my keys from? So the Shindal said something very fascinating. He said, every person, every person in this room, every person that comes to this world is born with Bechira. Do you have a choice? Yes, no, yes, no. But if you ever worked with an addictive person, a person who's an alcoholic, so he's a human being, he has a choice, but he lost his choice because... If you put in front of an alcoholic a bottle of whiskey, he can't say no. If you give money to a gambler, he can't say no. If you give drugs to a, an addicted drug user, he can't say no. What do you mean you can't say no? You're a human being. You're not, you're not a dog. You're not a flower. You're not a rock. Say no. Say no to drugs, right? Say no to alcohol. Or in my house, the big sign, say no to chocolate. That's for me. What happens, the Rambam says, and the Kaviyasha says, when you do something over and over and over and over again, you lose your power of choice. It becomes an addiction. In Kabbalah, it's called a key. What does a key do? A key opens and closes. If you don't have a key, you can't open and you can't close. You're addicted. You lose that power. So, Prince takes one drink, right? But if he continues drinks, if he continually runs away from his pain into eating, just overeating, right? It could be anything. It could be eating, it could be drinking whiskey, it could be doing drugs, it could be gambling, it could be anything. He doesn't have the key to say no. So the Shindala told the Mayo, the first time they asked you for the duck, you said no, you still had the key to say yes. But you continuously said no and no and no and no. Now you can't say yes. I took your keys. We have permission to take a human being's keys away from him when it comes to choice. If he continuously, continuously does the same thing over and over and over again. And, and I want you to know that, that I'm dealing right now. And it's the first time that I realized it. But it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's sick and it's very sad. So I'm dealing with a bunch of different girls from different places, not just New York, from different different places, and the problem is this texting on Shabbos now, there's a girl that I just was dealing with, and I met her when her parents told me about this, and I figured I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet some defiant street kid, or, or rebel, and I met the most from good girl and she sits down in front of me and we know that she's texting. She admits, I, I'm, I text on Chavez, and there's a group in Brooklyn, and there's a group in Lakewood, and there's a group in Muncie, and there's a group in other places. And we, all us girls, they're all from girls, we all text each other on Chavez. So I said to her, let me ask you something. W- would you turn on a light on Chavez? Chaz v'shalom. I said, would you drink coffee from a Kaylee Rishon? 
just the hot water straight into the cup and not pour that water into another cup. Would you would you drink from a Kaylee Rishon? Absolutely not. Only Kaylee Shaney. I said, I don't understand. I don't understand. You're on your phone on Friday night. You're on your phone on Shabbos. Don't you realize that that's worse than Kaylee Rishon and Kaylee Shaney? What's the difference between turning on a light and turning on your phone? And for the first time in my life, after talking to her, I realized that she doesn't need a rabbi. She doesn't need Rabbi Wallerstein. And she doesn't need a class in Kedusha. She needs an addiction therapist. She's addicted to the phone. This has nothing to do with God. This has nothing to do with angry. This has nothing to do with the rebellion. She's shamer. Kuli Mitzvah, she doesn't talk to boys. She's not texting boys on Shabbos. There's a group of from girls. And they're all from girls. And they're, and they're Shemesh Shabbos. They think they're Shemesh Shabbos. Chutz me texting. And they're not only texting, they're on the phone. And I realized I can't help her. She lost her key. She doesn't know how to go through a 24-hour period without being on that phone. So I said... You're sending them to the wrong person. It's not Rabbi Austin that can help her. She's addicted like a drug addict. She's addicted like a gambler. There's absolutely no difference. She does not want to do it. She does not want to do it. She knows it's wrong. But there's a Shindalid closet that has her key when it comes to phones on Shabbos. Because she did it once and she did it twice and she did it three times and not on Shabbos. But during the week she became addicted and, and she can't stop. So I sent her to an addiction specialist. It's nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. So Facebook and the whole texting, I think we missed it. I came and talked about it all the time from a Yiddishkeit point of view, which is, of course, a very big point of view, and from a danger point of view. But I never spoke about it from an addiction point of view. And if the people who are on Facebook or, or the texting, it's an, it's an addiction that you don't even realize that you're doing it. Many times your parents or your husband or whoever it is will tell you, get off the phone, or, you know, stop texting, and you don't, you don't even realize that you texted, and you, 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 you know, especially girls, they text and then they delete, and they text and then they delete, because God forbid anyone should read afterwards, right? So it's, it's like one motion, texting and deleting it, right? You don't even realize that you texted and you delete. You don't even realize it. When, you, when, when, you, when you're told you did 10,000... Minutes of texting, like, what are you talking about? You don't even realize it. How many times is the phone in your hand, and you're talking on it, and you're looking for it? <laughs> you're on the phone, and you're like, I can't believe where I put my phone. As you're talking to somebody, right? So that we lost our keys. We, everyone, no, it's happened to everyone. Don't sit there and not laugh, like, not me. It happens to everyone. You're on your phone, you're like, where did I put my phone while you're talking? It happens to all of us, right? So, so... It becomes an addiction. And once it becomes an addiction, then it breaks marriages, and it breaks relationships, and it breaks Shabbos. And it breaks everything down. So what happened here was, he didn't give tzedakah till he, till he didn't have the key. He could not give tzedakah. He lost the key. He had no more choice. Now you might say, that's not fair. Hashem, that's not fair. Hashem didn't take the key away. He gave the key away. So this Shindalit said to him, because you did bris mila for me, because you did this for me, I will give you back your keys. And he said, uh-uh-uh, I don't want anything from you. 
And he said, he didn't know that his wife said it, so he said to him, you must be very close to God. Nobody knows that if they take something from us that they can never get away. And you were sick, and then you had bad dreams. The luck that you had must be from God. So I'm going to tell you a secret, he said. If I give you your keys back, I didn't give you anything. They're your keys. So if I give you your keys back, we don't own you. It's only if I give you something that's not yours. But those are your keys. Therefore, I'll give them back. And the Kaviyosha says that he comes back to town, and he drops them off, and he builds a yeshiva, and he builds a shul, and he gives tzedakah, and he starts a, a whole time Shabbos, and he could not stop giving money out because he got his keys back. And the end of the Kaviyosha says, at the end of the day, what was the schus? But this whole thing happened to him. Because now he went to Gan Eden, and, and, and he gave all, all this tzedakah out, right? What was the schus? And he says that the schus was that he did the bris milah for free. Because he did the bris milah, he did an action. Because he did the bris milah for free, and he did this action, that's what saved him. So what happened in Montreal was I was plugging away a whole Shabbos. But what happened was that these girls understood that if they're going to go home monthly Shabbos, go back on whatever I spoke about, whether it was Facebook or CS, whatever the subject I spoke to, go back. The same person that came, not, nothing's going to change in their life. And that's what Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu. Now's not the time to talk. Now's not the time for speeches. And I used to, I used to be a big entertainer. Everyone, if you listen to my shirim in 07 and 08, all I did was tell stories. I told some crazy stories. I would get up here. I would not say Dvar Terrace. I would tell stories because I knew that the ladies love stories, funny stories and exciting stories. And Rabbi Wallstein tells unbelievable stories. And one day someone said to me, you know, you're an amazing storyteller. You should be on Broadway. <laughs> and I said, that's not what I'm on this world for. So I decided after that, I changed. And I said, when I give a sheer i got to give them something to change, not just to entertain them. you got to give them an idea, a thought, something they can go home and, and use it and change. No more fluff. Last night, my share, you'll never hear. It was so rough to my boys last night that I turned off all the... All the we, I was going to tape it so that we could have it. Not to put on Torah anytime, that we can have it. I told them, we shouldn't even have it. I'm going to say it once. I'm not saying it again. And we didn't tape it. I think one guy did when I wasn't looking under the... There's always that one guy. And one guy said, why don't you just put, up on, put it up on Torah anytime and write, for men only. I said, I did that once, two years ago. The most hits ever from women was to that chair. <laughs> so, so, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that again. But I was, I was, I was very tough last night. I was very tough. And they came over to me afterwards and said, Ray Wallstein, thank you. I'm like, thank you. I ripped you guys to pieces. And they're like, that's right. Now we're going to change. Stories, we're not going to change. So, so I'm not, it's not Facebook. It's about anything. Anything that a person is doing continuously wrong over and over and over again. I know girls that watch DVDs for hours. For hours. They told me they don't even enjoy it anymore. It's just on. They just, it's just, they're just watching it. It's not, it's not even enjoyment anymore. It's, it's, I can't on a Monday Shabbos go through a Monday Shabbos without a movie. Ah, you didn't like the movie. The movie is not something that's even something that you're interested in. It doesn't matter. I need to have that movie. You lost your keys. 
If you need, there's a saying in addiction. If you have to have something, you're not allowed to have it. If you don't need it, you're allowed to have it. And that's what happened in this story. And the reason I'm telling you this is that's what happened with Paro. With Paro, it seems like it's not fair. It's not fear. What happened? That's what it says. But actually, actually, Baruch Hu said, I took his keys. Where did you have a right to take his keys? Because nobody realizes that, forget about that Paro said, I'm not letting you out, I'm not letting you out. But what happened in the beginning? Two things happened. He gave up his keys. One, the number one key everybody in this room needs to know. To be close to Hashem, to be in relationships that are healthy, to live a healthy life, and to be a good person. The number one key is hakaras hataif. Appreciation. Not taking anything for granted. Because if you don't take anything for granted, then you definitely don't take God for granted. Of everything that he gives you that you can breathe, that you can see, that you can hear, that your brain can work, that anything that you can't take that. You don't take your mother for granted and your father for granted who brought you into the world, even though the world might not be the greatest place. But none of us are running out of the world. And at the bottom, at the end of the day, your mother suffered nine months with you, went through labor, burped you, diapered you, worried about you, took you to the doctor. You, you scratched her when she tried to give you medicine. You, you, you fought her. You, you, she were, you're a teenager. Your mom just put her through Gehenna, right? And all that, and she's still there. Mom's still there, right? And if you don't have a cross that type for that, then, 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 then that's, and that's the basis, by the way, of our generation, of our problems in this generation. This is the I generation. You owe me. My generation is we always felt we owed them. My parents did this for me. I owe them. I, right? And, and they didn't want anything to pay back. But we had that feeling of across the turf. Now, it doesn't work that way. Give me an iPhone. You owe me an iPhone. Why do I owe you an iPhone? Because everyone in my class has an iPhone. That means I owe you an iPhone. And then when you buy them the iPhone 4, right? Then when it comes out to 5, well, now upgrade me to the 5. And I've seen kids scream at their parents like that. It wasn't like, please, I can't believe you're doing this for me. Thank you. This is a generation where everybody owes everybody everything. And not slowly. Now! I want it now! I just had a situation, and, and, I, and I apologize to anyone who's watching this. <coughs> I got a phone call from Eretz Yisrael that somebody needed help. And I said I would call this person and try to help them. And I tried once. I didn't get through and I've totally forgot. I have crazy amounts of things on my head. And really, I'm an emergency room doctor. Whatever comes front, that's what I take care of. And people know that. So the people who want to get to me, and I'm not trying to advertise that. You should know that. But they, they continuously, they don't wait. Oh, he didn't call me back. They keep calling until they get me. So I have a million things on my head. Baruch Hashem. I'm not complaining. Hashem should give me more. Good things. Only good things. My father taught me, if your plate is full, get a bigger plate. <laughs> So, I'm cool. I forgot about it. Yesterday, I get an email from the person who has nothing to do with Israel, who's part of an organization that has a thousand people working for it, $20 million, right? Who called me, you're the only guy that can help. Okay? I don't have anybody besides myself working with kids. 
I don't have $20 million. I don't have 1,000 people. So I try. And I don't know how to say no. I'm in therapy right now, learning how to say no. Right? You have to learn how to say no. Sometimes you have to say no. No means you're free. A slave always says yes. Yes, master. Yes, master. Yes, master. A person who has freedom, he has the ability to say no. If you say yes all the time, you get abused. You can't say yes all the time. There's times where you have to say no. You have to live yourself. And, and many of us don't realize that. And we give and we give and we give until there's nothing left of us. And the HR is very happy. You could have lived 90 years and just given every year. But, you know, you burn out. We burn out. And their teachers, they burn out. And they, they don't want to teach anymore. They can't take it anymore. So this letter was from, the, was from this person who didn't, I'm sure he didn't mean anything. But the Yitzhahar is Yitzhahar. What does it say in there? It says, Rabbi Wallerstein... I guess losing a girl from Kleistrow means nothing to you. Aww. That's the email. Oh, now, here I am. Don't worry about me. I'm good. <laughs> My father did a good job. Don't worry about it. So, it's a trigger. I'm not going to tell you it's not a trigger because there's nothing worse as I'm coming from this hospital and that hospital dealing with the 13-year-old and the 18-year-old and the 19-year-old running around the whole world trying to help everyone Boom! There's nothing worse you could have told me is, I guess you don't care about Jews. Because I didn't take care of his problem. That's this world. Take care of me, take care of me now, take care of my problem, and if you don't, you're evil. Maybe that person has a life. So, no hakosa tov, no appreciation. Avivit knows this. Is another. I got another email from someone who... Ask me a question. And I don't like emails. Altogether, I don't have them on my phone. So until I get there, until she gives it to me, until I read it, until I remember that I put it there. Right? So I got an email from someone who asked me a question. And I didn't answer it. So the, right away, the nasty email came. So I sent back an email. And I said, instead of being nasty, why don't you send back an email? It seems to be that Wall Street's a good guy. And I sent him an email. And he didn't answer me. Must be he's very, very busy. Could I volunteer for a novel and take some of the pressure off him? That's the email I should have gotten. That's the email of a person who's thinking not about me. You gotta help me. You gotta help me now. And you'll send me back an email now. You're wicked. You're no good. She called me every name in the book a phony, a fake. Yeshua Marwal. She ripped me to pieces. So I sent back to her, I said, Send me an email, send an email to the man, if I'm sending it to this guy, he doesn't answer me back, right? And even if I write an email, I'll send you a check, he still doesn't answer me back, right? Must be he's very busy. So a person who has a karsatov, a person who's not into themselves, sends, wow, he must be crazy busy, he didn't answer me. Maybe I can help, maybe I can get my friends come, maybe we can bring 10 girls and help him answer his emails. Nah, rip them. It's about me. That's this generation. It's the me, it's the I generation. It's the we with the, you know, W-I-I. Now there's a we me, I think. A we something. A we I, a we you. I don't know, whatever. There's a new we. We we I, we you. Something. What? We me. It's a we me. Right, we me. Nice, very nice. So, the key, the key to a relationship with a husband, because it's the same thing husband and wife. If, if, if it's all about me, right, then if she doesn't have supper on the table, and if she's not ready when I want her to be ready, and she's not this and she's not that, I'm going to have a fight with her. Meanwhile, hello, how about thinking if she doesn't have supper on the table and she's not ready, maybe she needs help with the kids. So maybe when you call her, 
and it's a quarter to six from davening, and you're like, you ready to go to the wedding? And she's like, no, I need 45 minutes. Instead of yelling, I can't believe we're going to be late again, say, oh my goodness, I should have come home at five o'clock today to make sure that you would be ready. It's all based on the eye. It's all based on the lack of our type. And it's the same thing with kids with kids. It's the same thing. The Gemara says it was going to happen. The same thing. The lack of appreciation of our parents, of what they're going through, of when we come home an hour late, of what they're thinking. My daughter, my, you're not, whoever's not a parent, we have crazy imaginations. Even a woman who has no imagination, when your kid's missing for an hour and you, don't, you try to reach her and you can't reach her, you, you have these crazy pictures that they took her and they chopped her up to little pieces and they mailed her to every postal code in the United States and you're never going to find her again and you have these crazy things in your head as a parent, crazy things, the bridge my husband didn't call me, the bridge caved in there was a bomb, you, I can't reach him I said, right? and now because of the cell phones if you can't reach him, he must be dead because he always answers his phone and you go crazy, that hour your mom is taking that, your mother's in the shama out you're, you're taking that person in the shama out and you come home hi ma, sorry for being late what's for dinner? And meanwhile, on the kitchen table, there's 500 Kleenexes crumpled up. Because she's sitting there, she was already sitting shiver for this kid. She figured she's gone an hour, she must be dead. It's got she right? And, and we don't understand what we just did to our mother and our father and our husbands and wives. And it's all based on one thing. She said, it's all based on one thing, a lack of a curse of type. That's all it's based on. And you know what happens? If you continuously lack to appreciate, I, I, it's very sad, you can't appreciate anymore. Because they have your key of appreciation. And then when you want to appreciate that someone did something good for you, you can't. And you're like, no, they had to do it. They didn't do it because they wanted to do it. They had to do it. You lose that key. That key is the key to any relationship in the world. If you don't have that key, you cannot have a relationship with Hashem. If you don't have a and 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 I want you to leave with this tonight. That that's the thing that I want you to work with tonight. I'm not telling you stories. I want you to leave tonight and say, I need my key back. Now, it's interesting because the Rambam says, so what happens if you lost your key? So this is a very nice story. Brismila, he met him in the town, right? He got his key back. Me, I don't know no shin dollars. And I don't want to know them. And I'm not a mile. And I'm not going to their town. So, the Chama, how do we get the key back? They took our key. How do we get the key back? So there's a Rambam on it. And the Rambam says that the rabbis asked, how do you get your key back? How could have Paro gotten his key back? Now, Paro lost his key way before this because Paro had no appreciation. There was, there was good ladies, there was no Mitzrayim without Yosef. Yosef came down, they were having seven good years, and then they were going to have seven bad years, and the Mitzrayim would have been destroyed. Yosef made them save. He built, he built single-handedly the Egyptian empire. How dare you and according to Rashi, it could have been the same king, the same king. How dare you enslave the brothers and sisters of the person who built the empire? Pharaoh had no problem. Let's make a plan how to destroy them. Let's take their children and throw them in the Nile River. Kill the boys. I want to bathe in their blood. Hashem said, and now, when I'm going to come to you with blood, or I'm going to come to you with, with a maka, you think you're going to have the ability to let them go and get away with all that? No. You gave up your keys. When you forgot about everything that was done for you, you gave up your keys. When you took Jewish kids and threw them in the Nile River or killed them and bathed in their blood, you no longer have your keys. 
So HaKadosh Baruch Hu took his keys away. And therefore he could not let Klai Yisrael, and he had to go through until Makas Bukharis, until the whole Mitzrayim had to be destroyed. Why was Mitzrayim destroyed, ladies? Why did the whole Mitzrayim have to be destroyed? Hashem could have made it very easy. The Mitzrayim are on one side, the Jews are on the other side, the Jews go through the Yam, the water comes back, the Mitzrayim are left in Egypt, the Jews go to Israel, the Egyptians can't get to them. Have a good day. There was no Suez Canal. Have a good day. Just to wipe out the whole Egyptian nation. Because the Egyptian nation stood for Kafli Taiv. They stood for, these were the people. You know why you have beautiful palaces? You know why you have money? You know why you have slaves? They enslaved the whole world. Because when the world ran out of money, they said, if you want to eat, you have to become our slaves. So the Jewish nation, they did this all for you. So you're evil. Your evil is that you would have no across the top to this nation. Just leave them alone. We didn't ask you for anything. Let us stay in, in Goshen and learn. You made us slaves? You killed us? You killed our children? That nation had to be destroyed. <laughs> that empire had to be destroyed. No Hakaras Hatov, destruction. Sidaim. No Hakaras Hatov, destruction. The world by Noah. No Hakaras Hatov, destruction. You can't leave that in the world. Because there's no relationships if there's no Akras Atov. And that's what happened in, the, in this Pasha. And what happened by the Jews? The Jews were, were, were being tested on Bitochon. And Bitochon, I'll finish with this, Bitochon is based on Akras Atov. And based on understanding that Akash Boko created us and, and he's everything to us. That's what Bitochon is. I mean, I'm going to give you a little knech, a little, little bit of a different understanding of Bitochon, but that is what Bitochon is. I just want to tell you one thing really fast, which blew me away. There's somebody in London, in, in my phone, it's called Dvar Torah London, right? And he called me today and he left me a message. He watches my shirim. This is unbelievable. I've never heard this before. So if you look at, in both, there's three makas Arba, Choshech, and Makas Bechoros. Those are the three makas. Arba were locusts, they ate everything. You're not going to see here anywhere that Moshe Rabbeinu tells Paro that our bear is coming. Nothing. They came to Paro, they said, how long are you going to refuse to let my people go? Right? He says, never tells Moshe Rabbeinu what he's going to bring. God, in every Almach, he says, I'm going to bring Dam, tell I'm going to bring Dam. I'm going to bring Tzadadeh, tell I'm going to bring Tzadadeh. By Arbe, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Paro that locusts are going to come, but it never says that Hashem tells Moshe about Arbe. It just says, Vayom Hashem o Moshe, bo el Paro, go el Paro, keniich baratiz liba, I made him, right, I made his, his heart hard, lamantasapa, and nothing. And Moshe and Aaron come, and they say, so says Hashem, if you're going to refuse to let them go, tomorrow I'm bringing Arbe. How did Moshe Rabbeinu know that Arbe was coming? Doesn't say anywhere in the title that Hashem told him Arba is coming. Good question. This is the question at the table on Shabbos. You ask your husband, ask your father, ask your brother. It does not say anywhere in the Torah that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu he's bringing Arba. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu get this to tell Paro that he's bringing Arba? Listen to this. Amazing. There are two letters. There are two letters that are switchable in the Aleph base. We we see that many times in Gematrius. We see that many times in. Uh, Leave, leave it. We see it many times in, um, in different things in Kabbalah, and those two letters are an Aleph and a, uh, um, an Aleph and an Ayin, and a Pei and a Bez. Because a Pei and a Bez, Bez is the, 
Pei is Pei, right? And an Aleph and an Ayin have the same sound. Eh. Listen to this. So Hashem said like this. Vayoyma Hashem El Moshe. Bo, Bo, the letters Bez Aleph, come El Paro. We always ask, why does it say Bo El Paro? It should say go to Paro, right? Bo El Paro, come to Paro. It should say go to Paro. So he says like this. If you take the word, the word Bo and you put it into Paro, what do you get? So if you take the Bez instead of the Pei, because they interchange, right? And if you take the Aleph instead of the Ayin, it spells Arba. Aleph Reish Beis Hey. So Kosh said, Bo El Paro. Put the letters Bo into Paro instead of the Pei and the Ayin, and you will get you will get um, Arba. And then the pasuk says, Leman Shisi Oisoisai Eli Bekirboy. Oisoisai also means letters. In order that you should put these letters Bekirbo in the word Paro. If you put the letters Bez Aleph into the word Paro. And the base replaces the pay, and the Aleph replaces the Ayin, spells Arba. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the, the Maka of Abba was coming, and the next person he tells Paro, yes, the Maka that's coming is Arba. The Neu Yudikavort. The Neu Okay. Anyway, so I want to talk to you for a second on, and then I'll let you go, on Bitochon. From the very big Kasha, and the Kasha is like this. It says on Rosh Hashanah that you're supposed to get dressed in beautiful clothing, he's supposed to take a shower, he's supposed to take a haircut, right? Because it's a yantif. It also says on Rosh Hashanah that you don't say halal. And they ask, why don't you say halal on Rosh Hashanah? Because Baruch answers, my creations are being judged for life and death, and you want to sing my praises? No. So it's a stira. If it's a yantif, say halal. If it's not a yantif, right? and it's a court day, then you don't take a shower and get dressed up fancy in front of the judge. Just the opposite. You wear black. You look sad. You want him to feel bad for you. So what's going on over here? So there's a Pusik that says that I will run from you. I will run from you to you. And, he's, and, and I will cover myself from your anger. I will hide in your pity. So he says like this, and this is, this is a big mistake in bitachon. Everybody thinks that bitachon means, oh, shiduchim, I have bitachon, I'm not worried. Shiduchim, Hashem will take care of panasa. Oh, I'm not worried. I have bitachon, Hashem will take care of my panasa. You know, uh, bombs in Israel, I'm not worried. Hashem will take care of that. No, that is not what it means. Bitachon means that nobody can help me. I'm not doing well in business, I'm in big trouble. I can't find a shidduch, I'm in huge trouble. Things that are, I'm not healthy, I'm in crazy trouble. But where do I go to fix that trouble? To you. To you, Hashem. That's what bitochem. Bitochem doesn't mean not to be scared. Because if you're not scared, you're not going to daven. Oh, I'm not worried about, about a shidduch. Hashem will take care of it. So you're not going to daven, you're not going to cry, you're not going to go to our Kodesh you're not going to run to him. Right? It's a famous story in the beer suit. It says, Kodesh in, in Eichel, it says he appeared to us as a beer and as a father. What happens? When you, when you come in, my father used to do this Purim, he'd get dressed up in all these scary stuff, and all the grandchildren would run. They'd be crying and screaming and everything else. And the minute he would lift, the minute he would lift the thing, they'd go, oh, it's Zadie! And they would all run to him. <laughs> because as long as you think it's a beer, you run away. When you realize it's a Kashbach underneath, right, then you run towards. She says, when you, when you realize there's a problem, you become scared. You don't have a lack of bitachon. What do you do with that scared? You run to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, 
that is bitachon. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to end with a story. It's in the Gemara. I'm talking a lot of Gemara tonight. And it's a very fascinating, very beautiful, very deep story. We'll end with this. So the Gemara says like this. Rabbi Loza ben Pedas. There was a Tana called Rabbi Loza ben Pedas. He was extremely poor. And in those days, for health, they used to call, it used to call letting, letting blood. They would take leeches, and they would put it on their body, and the leeches would suck out the blood and bring down their, their blood pressure and would make them healthy. So the Gemara says that Rabbi ben Pedas was very poor, but he wasn't feeling well, so he let blood. Now, the minute you finish letting blood, the first thing you need to do is eat, because it makes you very weak. But he was so poor that he had nothing to eat. The only thing he had in his house was garlic. So he started chewing on garlic. And of course, after, after letting blood and being so weak and chewing on garlic, he fainted straight out. It's a famous story in the Gemara. So his Talmidim came into the house. They heard that Rebbe fainted, and he was laying on a bed. And he was like in this faint, like in a dream. And he was laughing, and he was crying. And then all of a sudden, the Gemara says, there were sparks coming out of his forehead for like a second. And they saw this. So they got him some water, they woke him up, and they said, what's, what's going on over here? Where, where were you in this dream? So he said, the following happened. When I fainted, I went up to Shemayim. He says, and I asked the Kodesh Baruch Hu, I asked Hashem, how long do I have to suffer? My whole life, I am so poor. I don't even have bread to eat after I let blood. How long, God? How, when, when are you going to be happy? Like, how long do I need to suffer that I'm so poor? So Akash Baruch Hu answered him that what should I do? You were born in a bad mazel. You were born in a bad mazel, and this is your mazel. But if you want me to change it, I have to destroy the world, you have to be born again, and maybe this time you'll be born in the right mazel. That's what Hashem told him. So he, you want me to do that, said HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So he said to Hashem, how long do I have to live? Do I, did I already live more than half my life? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, yes. You already lived more than half your life. So he said, in that case, don't destroy the world. Because it's not about me. And you have to destroy the whole world. In that case, let it go. Just leave it the way it is. So Kosh Baruch Hu said to him, you care about the world so much, I will give you a reward, 13 rivers in Ganeiden of Aparsimen. Beautiful, beautiful smelling Aparsimen. That is going to be your reward. He said back to Hashem, that's all? That's all? 13, that's all you're giving me? After all the suffering? And Hashem said, listen, if you're going to get more, your friends are going to lose. So he said back to Hashem, I don't understand. You don't have enough. You have everything. You could, you could give us all. What are, you, what are you saying? That my friends are going to lose. So the Gemara says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so happy with his answer that he gave him a glitch like on his forehead. Like, wow, beautiful. And when Hashem gave him the glitch on his forehead, there were, there were sparks. So the question is like this, says Rav Shem is, you go to a wedding, you go to a bris, and people come over to you and they say, Mazel Tov, right? You had 900 people at the wedding. And people, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. According to this Gemara, what are you wasting? If the person's born in a good Mazel, have a good life. If the person's born in a bad Mazel, have a bad life. What are you giving them a Mazel Tov? Because Baruch said, you have to destroy the whole world to turn your Mazel. So why do we wish people Mazel Tov? That was the question.
So Shimshin answers that if you complain like he complained, his mistake, and what Akash Baruch was telling him was that without tefillah, ladies, without davening, with just coming to me and saying, my life is miserable, how long is this going to last? Akash Baruch can't change a muscle. Because if you're just complaining, then you are not depending on Hashem, and therefore you are in Teva, and if you're in Teva and you're born in a bad muzzle, Hashem said, I have to change the whole world, I have to change the Teva. So Rav Shem Shem Pink is, had he davened to Hashem, instead of just saying, I have a miserable life, had he come to Hashem and said, Akash Baruch Hu, could you give me a better life? Could, could you give me a Parnassah? I love you and I trust you. He said, then there's no Shailah that Akash Baruch Hu wouldn't have said, I have to turn over the world. With Tefillah, Hashem doesn't have to turn over the world. And then he asks, and with this we end. So, what was such a great answer that he told Hashem? What's such a great answer that he said? That, what do you mean my, my friends will lose? You have everything. And Hashem loved it so much that he gave him a glut. And there were sparks on his forehead. What did he say? I would have answered that. You would have answered that. What do you mean, like, you worried about my friends? You got everything. So Hashem just says something beautiful. And we need to all take this message home. He said, what he was saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu was that it doesn't matter what anybody else has. My relationship with you is I'm your only son. That my connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not that I am part of the Jewish nation, not that I am a Jew, but I am Chani, your daughter, me and you. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the world. So if it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the world, then I, and I'm your daughter, then you have anything I need. It's sort of, when you're looking for a, a someone told me they're looking for a wedding hall, and they couldn't find one in June. It's impossible. Right? Every, everything was booked, except the days that, you know, the end of the month, whatever. Everything was booked. And he was freaking out. And he's like, I, I finally got engaged. I, I finally got over all these years. I've been going out with 100 girls. I finally got engaged. Now, I want to get married, and there's nothing in June. I got to take it in August. Because the nine days in three weeks. So he went to his Rebbe. He said, Rebbe, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I finally get engaged, and now it's all, all the banquet halls are taken, and I can't get married? So the Rebbe said, what are you flipping out for? He said, imagine if there's somebody, and he, he gets engaged, and he, he wants a hall. He wants to find a hall. And it's in June. And everybody sees the kid sitting back. And he's not nervous. And like, why aren't you nervous? You know, June is the toughest month. And he's like, you know who my father is? Who's your father? He owns, in the whole Brooklyn and Queens, all the, all the halls are his. So you think my father's not going to find me a hall? So he said to this kid, he says, you worried about a hall? Because Baruch owns the world. If, if you dab into him, he'll find you a hall you never heard of. Somebody might be canceling. Whatever it is, if you understand... What Rav Shimshin is saying like this, Bitochen, we think Bitochen means that I'm not scared. That I'm sitting in a bomb shelter in Eretz Yisrael when they're shooting missiles, and I'm not scared, God is here. He says, that's not Bitochen. That's terrible, because you're not going to daven. Bitochen means, I am scared. And I'm going to go to the only person, only place that's going to protect me, Hashem. That's Bitochen. That I am scared, and I have someone to go to that's going to cover me and take care of me. 
that's real bitachon. He says, not being scared, that's not bitachon. That's, that's, that's taking the easy way. I don't have to daven, I don't have to cry, I don't have to do chew, I don't have to do nothing. Hashem, you'll take care of it. You'll take care of it. So yes, girls, you have to be scared. You're not going to find a shidduch. Not walk around, Hashem will take care of my shidduch. No, maybe, chas v'shalom, my mazel is not good. But, mazel doesn't matter. Because, instead of complaining, I'm going to go to the one who has the keys. Who has the master key to everything. That's bitachon. Not that I don't, I'm not scared, I'm not worried about a shidduch, I'm not worried about having kids, I'm not worried about anything. That's not bitachon. I'm very worried. But I'm going to take it to God, and after that, I'm not worried anymore. In other words, I'm scared of the situation. My parnasah chatzom is not good. I'm scared, because why am I scared? Because why isn't my parnasah good? Because God wrote it. So as Rav Shimshin says the Rambam, that God is just waiting for you to ask for that. And if you ask for that, he will give it to you. And I can tell you, I'm not getting into it, but I can tell you that I had an addiction. And I've spoken about it on Shiram. I had an addiction that is incurable in a normal sense of the matter. And I sat on a floor and cried my eyes out to Baruch Hu because I knew that this was going to destroy me as a Rebbe, as a father, as a husband. I was gambling so out of control. And it was for years and years, and I talk about it publicly, and for years and years, and I daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help me because I knew that I was going to, and I, there was, a, there was a, a miracle that happened in my life where I owed so much money, so much money that I was going to lose my business, I was going to lose everything. And I sat on a floor, and I remember it today, for three and a half hours crying, Hashem, if you give me a good streak and I pay back all this money and I don't owe anybody money, I swear, I promise, I love you, I will never touch a card again in my life. And he did it. I schlepped poor God into a casino because he did miracles for the next two weeks and I made every penny that I owed, which was impossible. And I paid every casino back. And I was even... And I knew that Hashem did a nice nifla. And three months later, I was playing again. After Kosh Baruch Hu did such a miracle, after the impossible happened, after I sat on the floor and swore that I would never play again, I, was, I did not have my keys. I could not stop. Until it came to a point on a Friday night that I davened to Kosh Baruch Hu and I said, I, I apologize. I know you did this for me, and I apologize. And I went right back into it, and I promise you, just give me my key back. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. I have a family. I have. I'm, I'm a rebbe. Please help me. And that Friday night, I missed the minion that I was supposed to go to, and I dove in next door in Muncie by, by a shul called Rabbi Aderet's shul, and I walked into a shul. He's a Svardi rabbi, so they wait between Mincha and Meir Friday night. We don't. We go straight into Meir. And I was in that room, and they were waiting, they were learning. I put my hand by the bookshelf, and I pulled out a sefer. I never heard of the sefer in my life. The sefer was called the Kavayosha. The sefer of this story, of this addiction, of this moyal, of his not ability to give money. And in a parakin Kavayosha, it said the following. I just opened it up. I never saw this book. I opened it up, and this is what I opened up to. It said that when God created the world, the, good, the, 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 the devil... The Yetzirah said to Hashem, if you want me to do my job, you have to give me the same power that you have. Because it has to be an even fight. You have, I have to be able to do the same thing you do. Otherwise, it's not Bechira. And he said, 
The one thing you didn't give me, Hashem, is money. I have to be able to reward bad people just like you reward good people. So a drug dealer has to become rich. A person who sells human bodies has to become rich. A Jew that works on Shabbos, how does he make his money? How does a Jew on Shabbos make money? You think God gives him the money? The Panasha comes from Hashem? The Shefa comes from Hashem? It comes from the other side. So the Satan has as much money and the power to give money as God. And in that paragraph it says, when a gambler wins money, it comes from the, from the Satan. Hashem does not give money to play cards. Because karten, the word card, says the Bnei Sascha, kuf, resh, tes, nun, equals 359. Right? If you, if you add it up, the word satan equals 359. Cards and satan are the same gematria. And it said in there that it comes from the dark side. And anything that is done with that money from Chil Shabbos, from stealing, from making money not honestly, from playing cards, from gambling, anything made from that money belongs to them. To the satan so if you pay yeshiva to learn, all that taira goes to the satan. You buy a safer taira, you made a good gamble, you made a lot of money, you buy the, you buy the shul of safer taira, every word that's written in that safer taira goes to them. All the kedusha from that money goes to them, and that's what feeds them. I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then comes the worst part. And then when a person dies, since the mezainas, the food that he got, was from not legal stuff, and that came from the satan, you belong to him. Because he supported you your whole life, and he takes that person and he puts him in the seventh level of Ganem, never to get out. I'm like, ah, hello. Like, is this a fairy tale? This is not a real book, right? I learned the whole Kaviyasha. After that, I teach Kaviyasha because it saved my life. It saved my life. From that day, from that Friday night on, that was 15 years ago. Never gambled, looked at a card, had anything to do with it at all. Zero. How did you, and I get phone calls, and they say, it's not an addiction you can break. It breaks you. You're addicted till you have no money, no house, no car. You stole from everybody. Nobody breaks this addiction. Wallerstein, it's three years. How is it possible on the level that you played that you're not here anymore? Are you offshore? Are you going somewhere else? And I said, it's God. And they're like, we've heard that before, but that lasts usually a year. It doesn't last this long. And the answer is that I said to myself, if I go play cards and I win, then all that money is from the dark side. And everything that it does is going to go to them, and I'm going to go to them. So I don't want to win. But I also don't want to lose. So what am I doing? I'm not stupid. And that was it. It stopped. Because handed me my keys back. He handed me my keys. I say no. Years after that, my friends went. People went, come with us. No problem to say no. I don't need it. I don't want it. And it's, it's a big yay to her because I davened. I davened to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When I sat on that floor for those two hours, I davened because I owed money. I didn't daven because I want my keys back. If I wouldn't have owed money, I would have never asked to get the money back. I would have continued playing. So that davening didn't work. And, and, and three months later, I was playing again. Because I didn't daven to Hashem. I want to be a Rebbe and, and help me. Help me, I'm in danger, I know I'm in danger. Now I'll be talking, it's going to happen. I'm in danger, I'm going to lose my life, I'm going to lose my family, I'm going to lose everything that I want to do, I'm going to lose all my dreams. I wouldn't be standing here today. So that was the time I davened in shul Friday night. So because Baruch said, here are your keys back, I am the master, I have the key to everything. 
But the time I prayed before was just because I owed money. It wasn't about, I, I wasn't praying. I was saying, just let me pay back. That's not tefillah. And I got scared. And I knew where I had to go. I knew that I had to go to Akash Baruch Hu, And that he saved me. It was a miracle that I opened that. If I wouldn't have opened that safer, I wouldn't be here today. Friday night. Friday night, I opened the Kabayasha. 15 years ago. Never from the day I opened that. And so people send me, I've spoken about this on camera before. It's not the first time. And afterwards, the phone rings and I get emails. My son's a gambler. He's playing poker online. My cousin, my husband. I get 500 calls right after the share. You, you're the one. You can, nobody ever stopped. Gamblers Anonymous is full of, I, I walked into Gamblers Anonymous once, right? And I walked out with all those people lost everything. Nobody in Gamblers Anonymous are guys who won. Otherwise, they'd be playing in the casino. So everybody in Gamblers Anonymous, they're all sitting there. They lost everything, right? So I walked in there at that time. I was winning. I'm like, eh, I sit with these guys, right? So it doesn't happen. So I can tell you, and the reason I'm telling you this is that I've been there. I lost my keys. I lost my keys. And I told this to this girl who's texting on Shabbos. I said, I lost my keys. You lost your keys. I lost my keys. But the way I got them back is that I knew that I was in danger. It's not a lack of bitachon. And I went to the one that could get me out of danger. And he did. And I dabbed into him and he did. And everybody has that koyach. Hashem has a master key for all of you. You just need to go to him. And you need to ask him for it. And if you ask him for it, he'll give it to you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.